Hello, everybody. Welcome to another conversation with Justin and Jason. Today, we are joined by Billy Van Zant. How are you doing today, Billy? Uh, well, so far, so good. So don't mess it up on me. I will do my best not to. <laughs> All right. But, uh, I, I gotta. I figure we start with the book because the book kind of uh, spirals into all the other stories in your life. But um, what made you decide to write a book? Well, I uh, it started out because my kids uh, asked me. They didn't. They didn't quite understand what it was I did when I produced a television show. They were too young, and uh, they knew all my theater stuff because they would come to the rehearsals and they'd see the whole process. But uh, so I started writing this for them took off and had a life of its own and uh, I'm really really happy with it it's uh, every chapter is a different TV show that Jane and I worked on and uh, it's all funny stories a little bit of gossip and uh, I'm only nasty to a few people I think <laughs> <laughs> very cool um so yeah I want to I'm curious, what is what does a television producer do? We've had a few movie producers on, and it seems like we get a different answer every time that we ask. Oh, well, a TV, uh, if you're the executive producer of a TV show, you are in charge of everything involved on that show. You are in, you're in charge of the casting. You're in charge of hiring the writers. You hire the line producer, who is the money guy who puts your crew together. Uh, but it's all your with your approval on everything. Uh, and the only person, the only people that we end up answering to, we have to answer to the studio who is paying for the show, and we have to answer to the network who's putting the show on the air. Uh, but ultimately, it's the, the audience tells you what to do, really. And aside from that, uh, the, the executive producer or the creator of the show, they run the whole thing. And if you're a writer on that show, Every, you'll see all these different titles on a TV show, co-producers, supervising producer, co-executive producer, staff writer. They're all just writers. They all have different names. But uh, their job is to imitate the writer who created the show. You may, have, you may be brilliant on your own, but that's not your job. Your job is to imitate the voice of the creator of the show so every episode has the same feel to it. Okay. That's very interesting. So starting at the beginning, you were in Star Trek, the motion picture. I, I was. What is I, that experience like? It was fantastic. It was, I had just come off of uh, Jaws 2. That was my first movie. And uh, Robert Wise, who I was so thrilled to get to work with, you know, he's a legendary guy. Sweetest guy, too. He, he interviewed me and he told me, this never ended up happening. But he told me that there was possibility Leonard Nimoy was not going to come to work, so I would be the other alien on the ship. And I had I had big dreams right there, <laughs> you know. And of course, he showed up to work the next day. And um, but the it was funny because I wanted to be I really wanted to be uh, I, I know the Trekkies know every inch of the ship and all this other stuff, so I wanted to be good at what I was doing. So I went to to uh, there I am. I went to uh, George Takei and said, uh, you know, I want to make sure this is right. So when I'm pressing the keyboard, what buttons am I supposed to be pressing? And he said, I don't know. I just, you know, I just bang my fingers around. So I was, okay, fine. <laughs> so that was one. Nichelle the, uh, uh, read her lines. She pasted them on her, on her, on her screen. Uh, but everybody was great. I really liked everybody. I especially liked William Shatner. He gets a bum rap from people, and I don't quite know why. I really like working with him. Uh, to give you some example, my my girlfriend at the time had come to see the, you know, I snuck her in 
there's a lot of secrecy involved with this this shoot. It was the first movie. Um, so I, I, she was in my dressing room. I snuck her onto the set and I hit her behind a bunch of cables and all this stuff. <laughs> so she could see a little bit. And we started shooting a scene and uh, Mr. Shatner stopped, stopped the camera. He said, there's somebody back there. And I thought, oh God, they're gonna fire me now. <laughs> he said, you come over here. And my girlfriend walked forward and he went, uh, you can't see from back there. Somebody get her a chair, we'll put her up in the front. So he stuck her right by the camera, it was fantastic. I actually met Shatner myself in Saudi Arabia, and I thought he was the nicest guy in the world. So yeah. Yeah. I had a really good experience with him as well. Yeah, I really liked him. Uh, the uh, Leonard Nimoy and I would arrive first thing in the morning because we all had we had the elaborate makeup. I had the big the big head and the, the, all that. So we sat in the chair. I think we were there about an hour getting made up, and then uh, uh, William Shatner would come in five minutes before we were going to shoot, and. Uh, Leonard would have notes on every inch of that script. Bill, I think in this scene, I'm instead of this, I'm going to do this, and you should do this instead of that. And and William Shatner would just go, sure, whatever you want. He <laughs> was so, so easy to work with. I got to say, I know my costume from that uh, sold about five years ago somewhere for thirty grand. I wish I'd stolen it. <laughs> so, I. The only thing I, I have from that, I have the, uh, when they made a mold of my face, for some reason that it was only from my nose up, even though I remember doing the whole thing with a straw in my mouth, um, I still have the, the head, my, my original head from <laughs> 40 years ago, whatever it was. Uh, I still have that. And uh, but that, so, but Star Trek was great. Star Trek was fun. And then in, in a couple of years later, I did the movie Taps uh, about a military academy. And Purely coincidental, my character was a Trekkie watching Star Trek. So that, was little, that was a little strange for me. I, I wanted to ask about Taps, so we'll just go to that real quick. Uh, what was it like working with Tom Cruise, a very unknown Tom Cruise? Completely unknown at the time. Um, this, I, I always say the, the movie uh, Taps starred George C. Scott and Tim Hutton back when we made it. Now it's known as the movie that stars Sean Penn and Tom Cruise. <laughs> Forget the other guys were in it. Uh, Tom, uh, Tom was a really sweet guy, uh, very likable, very innocent. I would say he was incredibly innocent. It was just his second movie. He had done one little scene in a Brooke Shields movie. And uh, other than that, this was his first. And um, Sean, on the other hand, uh, he was a very, very serious method actor. He was always in character. And uh, he decided that if, you know, if he was in character, everybody had to be in character. I didn't play along with that, but a lot of guys did. And Tom, who was very innocent, and I would say bordering on gullible, uh, he did whatever Sean told him to do. So in the movie, Sean's character and Tom's character hated each other. So Sean went out of his way to antagonize Tom in scenes that he wasn't even in. He would come show up on the set when he wasn't even supposed to be there. He'd stand behind the camera. He'd make faces and try and ruin the take on Tom just so Tom would get mad at him for later on. And uh, it was really funny to watch, but we, we the, the three of us hung around for a, a while. I, I hung around with Sean a lot longer um, uh, when we came all back to LA. And uh, I did, I did, uh, there's a, here's a quick, I hope it's quick, quick story about uh, Sean and Tom. I, I helped put together a movie called At Close Range that Sean Penn did. Um, 
I say I helped put it together. I literally just got the script to Sean and told him he had the option movie to be in it and all this sort of thing. So Sean read it and he optioned it and said, okay, I'm going to play the lead and you're going to play this other little role. I said, fantastic. So a year goes by, the movie's getting made and I'm told that the director said I'm too old for the, the role. I was like, okay, that's the way it goes. So I go to Sean and Madonna's wedding and I'm standing there talking to Tom and this guy comes up and he looks, you know, a lot older than me. And I said, oh, how do you, how do you know Sean? He said, oh, I just did a movie with him. I said, oh, what role did you play? And he mentions my role. So Tom looks at this guy who looks older than me and he starts laughing at me, basically, you know, for, you know, I got screwed out of the role. Ha ha. So I said, I'll get even with this guy. And at the end of the night, Tom came to me and he said, Billy, there's so many paparazzi are bugging me. I parked miles away and I took a cab here. Can you drive me back to my car? And I said, yeah, sure. Here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll give the valet my ticket. When my car comes up, I'll jump in, I'll signal. You come out, jump in the car. I'll take you to, to your car. The paparazzi won't bother you at all. He said, oh, okay, that'd be great. So I, at the end of the night, I signal. I get the, the, the car from the valet. I jump in, I signal to Tom. He starts to run out and I took off and I left him there surrounded by all these paparazzi who were just clicking away at him and, and uh it was like i got even with you and uh he told me that he jumped in the very next limo which turned out to be andy warhol's limo he didn't care whose it was he just got in and, uh, but uh, so that was, that was a little little tom little tom story there <laughs> that is awesome uh, so i i was I, I was looking at your imdb and i noticed you've done some stuff with well around Lucille Ball and I thought that was crazy. I mean that, that sounds amazing. Have you did you interact with Lucy at all or I did I did uh, she's the reason I went into this business. I, I wanted to do the type of comedy they did on I Love Lucy. Um, I'm, I'm from New Jersey and in, in, in Jersey you know because of the stations coming out of New York Lucy was on about eight times a day in different you know one show and then yeah, the yeah. show. and I watched all of them as a kid. So um, that's I started studying her timing I studied the writers, uh, how they structured the scripts, and I knew I wanted to go into comedy. Even when I was like 10 years old, I knew I wanted to do this. So uh, I just studied and studied and studied, and eventually um, I had the great pleasure of finally getting to know her and work with her on her final TV show, which was just a, you know, it was a crazy dream come true for this kid. I imagine. That sounds amazing. It was. Um, it was great. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. Did I did I read correctly that you were you watched the last show she did with her? Yeah, yeah. The uh, my my friend Ann Dusenberry, who had been in Jaws two with me, she played Tina in Jaws two. She was cast as Lucy's daughter on the on the Life with Lucy, the final uh, Lucy show. And uh, so I came out to visit for the pure reason of I wanted to meet Lucille Ball, right. and and I ended up uh, over the course of that I was there with her for three weeks I, I watched one week of rehearsal i got i i auditioned and got on the show for the second week and i was ready to go back east and and uh, lucy said you know anything monday night i said no why she said why don't you come over to the house we're going to watch the uh, you know the, the first episode it's like uh okay yeah okay. <laughs> so i was in her house which was crazy weird for me and uh, we watched we had dinner Spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. I remember that. And uh, and ignorant that as, as I was, I figured she cooked it, you know. So I was like, oh, this you know, food's very delicious. And she pointed to somebody in the corner and went, yeah, they can cook anything. I was like, okay. So um, 
uh, we after dinner we watched the the TV show, and I and I realized I was sitting on the floor, you know, in front of the TV screen, watching it the way I used to watch her back in my parents' house, and I realized halfway through the show, she's behind me. She's watching me watch the show. It was very surreal, and thank God it was. Thank God it was a funny episode, and I laughed a lot. <laughs> but, uh, but it was great. She was. She was. You're, you're always afraid to meet your idols because they're going to be horrible people and ruin everything for you. Yeah. She was exactly what I wanted her to be. She was just terrific. Really lovely lady. I bet that was a surreal moment. She just said that was the reason you wanted to get into making movies and comedies, and then yeah. you're sitting in the house watching an episode of a show with your hero. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, when I first came out to LA, uh, Jane uh, was my girlfriend at the time, my writing partner through the years, but back then she was my girlfriend. Um, we went straight from, we came out here to do some uh, scenes from Jaws 2, and I left the airport, went straight to Lucy's house. And uh, I started getting out of the car, and Jane said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to meet her. She said, <laughs> And she hid. She Jane hid under the dashboard. <laughs> I walked up to the. I walked up the brick walkway. I knocked on the door. Houseboy answered the door, and I said, "Billy Van Zandt's here to see Lucille Ball." And he said, "She's not home." Slammed the door in my face. Got back in the car. We left. So ten years later, that night, I'm watching the show uh, in her living room with Lucy. Uh, we started talking about a bunch of different things. And I said, "Did you ever meet Charlie Chaplin?" I said, I see his influence in your work, but I never saw a picture of the two of you together. So did you ever meet him? He said, no, but I'll tell you a funny story. In 1976, I was in Switzerland and I found out where he lived. So my husband, Gary, and I drove to his house. But Gary wouldn't get out of the car. He hid under the dashboard. And I got out, I walked up and I knocked on the door and I said, Lucille Ball's here to see Charlie Chaplin. They said, he's not home and slammed the door in my face. Very surreal moment for me. <laughs> Full circle. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great. Sorry, Justin, go ahead. No, no, you're okay. I was just, I, I was just thinking about it. I mean, you've met another, or you work with another titan of comedy. I think Bob Newhart, right? I mean, how crazy was that? Was the that? First TV show. He yeah. was fantastic. He was fantastic. He spoiled me for everybody that came after him. Uh, what a gentleman! Incredibly funny, incredibly professional, but really giving. And the whole set felt like one big family. Um, you know, I've worked on other shows where you want to blow your brains out working on them, but this one was fantastic. And and uh, I'm a fan of Green Acres. And by the time I got on his Newhart show, it had gone from a you know a, a guy who runs a bed and breakfast to Green Acres. It was just another crazy. Every all the people in it were nuts. And uh, boy, I had fun writing that. And we actually uh, at one point they allowed me to. Uh, we brought Alvy Moore, who played Hank Kimball on Green Acres. We brought him on to basically play the same role, yeah. just just to please me. They were very nice about it. So, but one thing I've I've been able to do, which I, I I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing, but it's good for me. Any chance I have to bring any of my childhood heroes out of retirement and onto camera, I like to do it. I brought Hans Hall from the Bowery Boys out of retirement for what probably was his last TV show. Uh, and you know the network people look at you like you're crazy. First of all, they're all they, none of the, they don't know anybody you're talking about because right. right. you know they're all 20 years old. And uh, so I brought Hans Hall, and he played this little role on a on a show I did for Don Rickles and Richard Lewis. And uh, at the table reading, he read, and afterwards the network people said, "Oh, you got to fire him." I said, "What do you mean we got to fire him? Oh, he's old. He's never going to remember the lines." I said, "Just trust me. You know, guy's been around for." 
80 years doing what he's doing. So uh, at the end of the week, they uh, they not only did he keep him in the show, they offered him like two pilots, you know, because they were so impressed with how funny he was. So yeah, I did that. I, I brought a lot of people out. Kay Ballard thanked me for bringing her back to television, which was horrible that nobody had brought her back to television. Um, a lot of great people I like working with, and 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 uh, Jane and I have been very loyal through the years. Where we have we go back to the same people all the time. If if somebody we like work with somebody, why do we want to find somebody else when they're going to play the role just as well? So right. yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Um, so you've been a producer on quite a bit of shows. Uh, Martin, the Wayne's Brothers, and yeah. Hughley's are three in particular. What is it like working on those shows? Yes, for some odd reason. Jane and I, through the 1990s, we were uh, one of the voices of black America on television. So uh, the weird thing was, well, every, every show was different. You know, the guys were all different. But the, as far as the network is concerned, if you do one thing, you're an expert at that, and that's all they want you to do. So in their mind, because I worked with one black guy, I must be, I don't know, there must be an authority on all black guys. So they kept bringing us back for different shows that had nothing to do with each other. You know, D.L. Hughley is nothing like Martin Lawrence. They're nothing like the Wayans brothers. They just happen to be black. And uh, what I, what I, what I did when I, when we first agreed to uh, to do Martin's show, I said, look, I'm not going to pretend to be black. I think it's patronizing for me to write as if I'm, you know, I don't know that experience at all. So I said, I can write the male-female relationship stuff. And you got a black writing staff, and they'll change the words if, you know, if, I, if I'm doing it wrong, you know. So we did that. We did it that way. Um, Jane and I developed, uh, we helped develop the Martin, uh, the first season of Martin. We created the Garrett Morris character and, uh, and a bunch of, the, bunch of the characters that Martin ended up playing. Uh, Otis, the security guard. Roscoe, the little kid with the snot nose. That was that. We did that. We did a bunch of them, but uh, he was, he was, I will say he was, he was a little difficult to work with, um, but I will say for, in, in his defense and the defense of any other stand-up comedian I've ever worked with, they've been their own writer, producer, director for probably 10 years before they ever meet me. And so for them to come in and me to go, okay, I know you've been doing this for, you know, your whole life. But I'm in charge now, and I'm going to tell you what's funny and what's not funny and what works and what doesn't work. That's a weird transition you got to get through. That rolled into something I was thinking about while you were talking. Is I would imagine as a stand-up comedian, did he try to rewrite a lot of the things you gave him? Just saying, hey, read this line, he wouldn't do something different? or No, what Martin would do brilliantly, I will say, is we would give him the script, and he would stick to the script. He would complain about it through the entire week until he was where he wanted it to be. But once we got the script where it was supposed to be, he would improvise things on camera, in the scene, yeah. and they were always funny. I mean, it was like he would take one bit we did and he'd turn it into three other things, and the cameras just followed him. And, sure. and uh, Tisha Campbell, who was brilliant, uh, is brilliant, uh, she, her, her job, which was harder than it looked, was to not only find him hilariously funny and sexy, while he's off doing these crazy things, but she'd have to somehow get him back into the script. So, <laughs> so you know, she had her work cut out for him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Martin was brilliant. Martin actually worked very similar to Bob Newhart, which I never thought was possible, except, uh, you know, Martin would say, 
I'll clean my language up. He'd say he'd speak differently. Let's say, but um, uh, but but all that mattered to them was the audience that was in the bleachers while we while you were shooting the show. Mm. One take, you did it like a play. One take per scene. Move on. Finish the show. Done. You're done. An hour and a half. Um, a lot of a lot of shows I've worked on since then. The producers insist on doing three, four, five takes of every scene to try and tweak this line. Maybe this line will be funnier. And you're killing your audience that are sitting there watching it, and you're depleting the the actors of their energy too. Mm-hmm. And I go back to I Love Lucy. One take, move on. You know, um, honeymooners. One take, move on. Mm-hmm. And Bob Newhart worked that way. Martin Lawrence worked that way. And I think we did that the same on the Wayans Brothers too, because um, that was when we were running that show. Um, but, uh, Bob was interesting in that he didn't want to work with a laugh track. He said, if the joke bombs, the people at home aren't stupid. They're not going to laugh because you put a laugh on it. So leave it out. And, uh, and Martin, uh, was all about the audience, which was fantastic. And, uh, it made, it also made the, the, the shoot night was great because you're, you're, you can actually go to dinner afterwards and all the restaurants are still open. (laughs) <laughs> you know. So on the Waynes Brothers, did you have any direct um, interactions with John Witherspoon? Yes, yes. I loved him. What a funny guy. What a professional, funny, great guy. Um, we were brought on to the Wayans Brothers. Um, there had been, I guess there had been a, a, they call them presentations, which are short versions of a pilot. Maybe they're 15 mm-hmm. minutes long. They don't want to spend a lot of money shooting it. Um, there had been something the year before, and it got picked up, but the showrunners were not picked up with it. They brought a different guy in, and he had a writing staff supposedly for a couple of weeks, months, and they had come up with zero scripts. And the show was supposed to go on basically live because the, the, the WB network was a brand new network and it had to open on a certain night. And they didn't have any scripts in the works, really. So they brought Jane and me on and we had to sort of improvise, putting, creating the show, putting it together, casting it and filming it. I think we had like five weeks to do that from the time we said yes to the time it went on the air. So um, John was already attached to it. And thank God, because he was, you give him anything, you have him say hello, and it was hilariously funny. <laughs> um, and we had fun writing for him, too, because the character was so bizarre. And, uh, and, the, and, and I will say the, the Wayans brothers were great, and, and uh, John was great. I really liked, really liked working on that. It was very out there. Um, because of what we did on Martin, which was the first time, I think, you really had a combination of a sitcom and sketch comedy in one show. You know, you'd have a regular sitcom and suddenly he'd play Shanae and, you know, whatever he was going to do. So we sort of did the same thing with the Wayans Brothers, where it was a sitcom, but we went far left, you know, as we were mm-hmm. going. Um, and that made it fun. That made it really fun to do. Uh, we were only contracted to do the first season. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, they brought in somebody else who changed the whole show around brought in the lobby of the big building and brought in different characters but when we did it it was um because we were doing it so quickly we were doing our version of the honeymooners quite frankly it was you know marlon was uh, 
Art Carney and Sean was uh, Jackie Gleason and uh, Leela Rashawn who played the, the girlfriend. Uh, she was Audrey Meadows, you know, and uh, John Witherspoon wasn't in the, he had no connection to the Honeymooners, but you know, he was John Witherspoon. Um, but, uh, and that show, man, that show just ran forever. It true, ran true. forever. And we didn't know, honestly, we didn't know if Marlon and Sean were going to be funny at all. All they were really known for was being the brothers of Damon and, and Keenan. And uh, suddenly they had their own show and it was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> but uh, really good, really good guys. Uh, and, and they would come into, the original question you asked, they would come into the writer's room with us. Mar Martin did not do that. Uh, but Sean, because we were under such time restraints, uh, Sean and Marlon would come into the room, we'd be pitching things out, and then they'd try act, you know, how about this? And they'd act something out, and we'd see if it worked or not, and then we put it in the script. It, it, you can you can do that very rarely, because a lot of times a comedian will come in and think everything they do is brilliant, and you have to find a way to say, well, no, that one didn't work, without wasting an entire evening of trying to then get back to your script. Awesome. Uh, so the Hughley's were on for quite some time. Um, working on that. Any any cool stories? How was DL to work with? DL was was great. He could not have been sweeter, more professional. The uh, he he admitted he admitted to us. Uh, he came to see Jane and I were doing an off Broadway show called You've Got Hate Mail, and we finally talked him into coming to see it. And he confessed to us afterwards it was the first play he'd ever been to in his life. And he said, "No, I've been to musicals because I have daughters." You know, but. Uh, his first play well that was kind of fun but he was great i i still we still keep in touch uh, I, I still keep in touch with him and um and he's 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 brilliantly funny and uh i, I really love the political side he's taken and uh, his books are good too by the way awesome i saw him do stand up not too long ago but you rolled into my last question is i want to know what you've got hate mail is all about <laughs> You've got hate mail, which is now done all over the world. Is it, and it's so bizarre to me that it is. It started out. Um, I had seen a show called Love Letters, which is very a very big uh, A.R. Gurney uh, Broadway show, where two people read, literally sit on stage and read letters back and forth to each other from the time they're kids to the time they they pass away. And uh, I watched that one. God, I wish I'd written that. There's no rehearsal. You read the script. We get so I tried. We tried writing something called hate mail, and it didn't work. We couldn't make it. It was just was something weird about it. And then Jane got a divorce, which was the best thing that happened to us because <laughs> <laughs> she and her husband, ex-husband, he would write. You know, he, he things happened, and uh, he would write to try and make up to her. And I'd be in the office and she'd be getting these emails and she'd be crying and she'd write something nasty back to him and I'd read it and I'd laugh because it was horribly funny. And uh, so she'd go to delete them. I went, no, 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 don't delete those. Save those because we'll probably use them someday. <laughs> and uh, so when we, were, when we ran into a stumbling block with this hate mail thing, we suddenly dawned on emails. And if it's a story of a divorce, Jane's divorce, told through emails, we would have five actors, five laptop computers, and this is. You know, and then we eventually did it with iPads and phones and everything. But originally, it was five iPads, five actors sitting at desks, and you saw the story of a divorce told through email. And uh, it was it was a huge hit. We ran in New York for five years, 
and uh, and then suddenly there are pr the productions of it all over the world. I went down to Mexico City to see it. Uh, uh, Hungary, it's, it's playing in Hungary right now. They're streaming it because I can't wait to see that. I, I don't speak the language, but I know the story. Um, and uh, so that's been fun. That was our twenty. That was our twenty-second play, I think. Jane and I did twenty-three together. I did twenty-five altogether, um, and more. I hope. <laughs> I hope to come. Yeah. Um, but that one's really a lot of fun because the, the the gist of it is everybody at one time has hit send to the wrong person or sent a, a draft that you sh knew you shouldn't write. You hit send and go, oh, what did I do? <laughs> That's what starts to show off. The husband, a husband is having a uh, fling on the side and he sends his wife a very dirty email that was supposed to go to the girlfriend. And then you see the whole marriage crumble. And uh, it was really fun. We had so many people step in to do it. The, the nice thing, because you're reading off of a laptop computer, we could, uh, we could bring in guest stars every night and they could just read it. So Richard Kine came and did it. Caroline Aaron came and did it. Uh, we had, uh, Jeff Keller, Phantom of the Opera guy. Um, it, it was really fun. And uh, I, I, I'd do it again. Well, is it well, still... Is it still Obviously, now we stopped. We stopped about uh, three three years ago. Uh, we were touring it for. We probably ran it and toured it about ten years total. Um, but we uh, our our newest last uh, show is uh, the Boomer Boys musical, and that's the one we 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 closed. Uh, You've got hate mail, so we could do uh, the Boomer Boys musical, which has been touring for three years until the world shut down and we'll tour again when the world opens up to whatever the world is going to open up to. Awesome. Justin, do you got any more questions? No, I just, I can't, I would imagine it's an amazing feeling knowing something you worked so hard on is around the world. I just can't, I can't get over that. Like Hungary and things like that. That's pretty weird. Yeah. I gotta it's say cool. it's pretty weird. Uh, yeah. I, I think there's a picture of the Polish cast in my book too. Um, <laughs> But I'll go back there again. It, we, it, was, it was a very strange thing. They invited us over to see that show. Um, and then down the street, coincidentally, we didn't know it at the time, was another one of our shows, Love, Sex, and the IRS. And uh, so I'm a big hit in Poland. <laughs> yeah. Well, Billy, thank you so much for coming on our show. I could talk to you for days. You've got thank some great you. stories. and great great experiences throughout your life and everybody that's listening or watching check out his book get in the car jane adventures in the tv wasteland uh i started it it's a lot of fun so far i'm enjoying it great uh, where can everybody find you online i have no idea you can go to my website <laughs> uh and you can see all the different tv shows and plays and all that in the films and all that stuff and i know i'm on uh, twitter I, i'm on twitter i don't know even what the handle is <laughs> but it's if you look at my name, you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on Instagram and Twitter, and somehow you'll find me. <laughs> or you can get get through me uh, on Amazon where the, where the book is. I think they. Have it. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. Check out his book. Uh, his uh, Twitter handle is Billy V Zant. So follow him on Twitter. From all of us at the Three Geeks Podcast, have a great day. Thanks, Thank you.